um, Tuesday night. For everybody who came out, thank you. You guys are awesome. I heard it was a, a ton of fun as well, and, uh, and the church looks beautiful. We're excited about Teen Challenge coming next, um, next week. We're excited. Um, just this whole season, you know, is one of Thanksgiving where we look at all that God has done for us, and also, you know, it leads right into the, the greatest gift of all, and that is Jesus Christ. And I just hope and pray that, that as December kind of moves forward, with all the busyness that, that our lives uh, kind of run into, that, that you and I wouldn't forget. We wouldn't let it pass us by without really thinking about why Jesus came. And the reason he came is really what we celebrated not too long ago during communion. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her, and the fever left, and she got up and began to wait on him. There's a lot packed into those two short verses, probably more than we think, and and so many times, if you're anything like me, I'm guilty of reading without really taking in, reading without really thinking and consuming what is actually in front. And so let me paint a little bit of the background here of what's happening. This actually takes place... Uh, in Capernaum. Capernaum is located um, on like the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Those of you who are going to Israel with us a year from now will actually go to Capernaum and you'll see exactly where this happened. But Capernaum is located up there. Um, On the day, it was the Sabbath day when this happened. And as we pull from Mark and uh, other chapters in Matthew, we get a fuller picture of what actually happened. Jesus is coming home. When I say home, not his own home because he didn't have a home, but he was going to Peter's home. And he was leaving the synagogue. He'd been in the synagogue in the morning and he just cast out a demon from a man in the synagogue. And he's on his way to Peter's house where he actually encounters the centurion and his servant. And he actually brings healing to the centurion's servant. And all this is happening on the same day. And when he gets to Peter's house, he finds yet another need, something else required from him, and it's Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. Now, in Palestine, there were three kinds of kind of common fevers that were in that area that you could expect. The one was called Malta fever, and it was marked by weakness, anemia, and basically, you'd kind of waste away, and it would last for months, and it often ended in a decline, which unfortunately finished in death. There was a second kind of fever. It was called intermittent fever, which may well have been like typhoid fever. Then there was a third kind of common fever that was found in this region, and it was associated with malaria. Some of you are from countries where malaria is still a big problem today, and so you are probably more familiar with it even than I am. And so Capernaum, and also Tiberias, which is a little bit southwest of Capernaum, was um, kind of a, a hot spot or prevalent for malaria. Malaria was, was, was often found. And so scholars believe that malaria was actually what 
Peter's mother-in-law was suffering with. And so Jesus comes to her house. He finds her suffering with malaria. You know, what I like about this passage is it's, it's really kind of a picture of the, of the entire gospel. And I'll explain that here in a little bit. It's kind of a picture of the entire gospel right here in these two verses. We see a glimpse of Jesus. We see a glimpse of his heart. We see a glimpse of his compassion, his mercy, his love. William Barclay points this out. He says, miracles did not cost Jesus nothing. Your time doesn't cost you nothing. It costs you. If you ever get involved in counseling or walking with someone, those things can be costly times. But for Jesus, it doesn't cost him nothing. How many times do we see Jesus having to pull away or trying to pull away? We see it often. Jesus, although he was fully God, was fully human too. He got tired. And so this miracles were costly for him. Whenever he would heal someone, virtue went out from him. He would actually sense power leaving his body. And so on a day like today, the day that he is actually encountering this lady at Peter's house, he would have been tired. You know, praying, counseling, helping people uh, can be emotionally draining and exhausting. I don't mean it in a negative sense. I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean that when you walk with someone, it can be incredibly rewarding, and you can have a great counseling session, but man, you get wrapped up with that person, especially if you care about that person. I mean, you're, you're vested in them. You're carrying a load with them. You're watching them cry. You're watching them hurt. You're watching them struggle, and you're there with them. How many of you have ever been in a situation like that, where you've with someone who's hurting and struggling, and you leave exhausted, not regretting it, but exhausted? And so for Jesus, this would have been part of his day. He just cast out. He just set a man free from a demon in that morning in the synagogue. That's another message. Why was the demon in church? But there he is, and he sets this man free, changes this man's life in the morning. And then he, on the way to Peter's house, changes the centurion's servant's life and brings healing. Your Barclay says the only reason he would have been going to Peter's house really at that time was to get rest. So he's tired. He's heading to Peter's house, and, and once more he gets to Peter's house and wanting to sit down and wanting to relax a little bit, he comes and encounters still another demand on him for help and for healing. And Jesus doesn't blow it off. He doesn't go, you know what, I, I've, I've done two this morning. I'm good. No, he doesn't turn this lady away. No, instead he reaches out his hand to her and he touches her and her fever is removed. You know, one thing which is so many things about Christ which are amazing, the one thing that stands out in this particular passage, Jesus is never, he was and is never, too tired to help. He's never too tired to climb into your dirt. He's never too tired to climb into your sickness and into your darkness. He always 
has time for you. Like you are his pride and his joy. He died for you. He has time for you. And in this passage, we see this glimpse of compassion, of love, of mercy, of grace, of help, of healing. And the other thing that really points out, was pointed out to us in this passage, is that Jesus wasn't just his best in front of people. Jesus didn't put on a show for people. Jesus was Jesus. He was who he was in public, and he was who he was in private. There was no situation too low or too humble for him to get involved in. He didn't go up to this lady and go, you know what, this is such a small-time miracle. No one's around. You know, I'm not going to work on this. I'm not going to do this. No, he healed people in massive crowds. And like we see right here, he heals this little lady when there are no admiring crowds. There are no astonished people. It's just a simple home with a lady in there with no attention. See, it wasn't about the glamour. It wasn't about the praise. It wasn't about the acknowledgement. It was about people. It was about life. It was about healing it was about love. And so Jesus, even in his tiredness, steps into this lady's house, and with Jesus comes healing. And his love and his power were just as strong in private as they were in public. You know, as we think about Thanksgiving, if I were to go around this room, and I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands, and we just talked about Jesus stepping in and casting a demon out of someone and healing the centurion's servant and healing this lady. What about you? What has God done in your life? And we're not going to go around giving testimonies. I love doing that. The problem is you guys talk too much. You think I talk too much. No, it's good. But just raise your hand. Has God done something significant in your life that you go, you know what? Man, if it wasn't for God. You know, I just want you to think about it. What, what, you don't have to answer me, but what was it? Was it a healing? Did God step into your life? Maybe like this lady, maybe you were sick and had a fever, or maybe you were really struggling, and God steps into your life, and now your life will be forever changed. Was it an addiction that, G, that you couldn't break, and God steps in, and he breaks that addiction? Were you overwhelmed with depression or anxiety or whatever? What was it when Jesus stepped into your life? Because this story that we're reading this morning, it's not a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It's a story that's happening today. And this church is full of people who have the same story that this lady has. Because that is who our God is. He steps into our lives in an amazing way and brings light into darkness, joy into depression, and the list goes on and on. Health into sickness in only a way that he can. And so that is who God is. And his word says this. It will be on the screen behind me in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. It says, Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, it's not those, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but it is those 
who are sick. You know, Jesus didn't come for those who think they're well. Jesus didn't come for those who think they're healthy. Jesus didn't come for those who think they're righteous. His word says our righteousness is like filthy rags to him. And the minute you begin thinking that you walk on water, it's disgusting to him. But he came for those who are sick. He came for those who go, you know what? In the midst of everything, I am dirty. I am a sinner. I am sick. I am in bondage. And Jesus, as we see a picture here, he's eating with the people that, that the righteous religious people rejected and pushed aside. He's eating with the people that they would say, hey, listen, don't even bring those sinners to us or even close to us because they're unrighteous. Yet that's who Jesus is hanging out with, and that's who Jesus is being criticized for being with. And Jesus' response is, man, it's those people who need a doctor. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. You're not here because you're righteous enough. If you think you're here because you're righteous enough, you really need to go and pray. You're here because you are a sinner like I am, who has been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, not by my ability or my skill set or my righteousness, but merely and purely by his grace. And Jesus says, I came for those who recognize who they really are. I came for those who realized, man, I am just, I don't even like who I am. I don't like the sin that's in me. I don't like the darkness that's in me. And I realized that I can't heal myself. And Jesus says, that's who I've come for. I've come to be with them because they recognize they need me. And so Jesus came for people like the tax collectors and the sinners. He came for people like you. He came for people like me. A few years ago, uh, it was actually Pastor Greg, and uh, he was uh, when he was the pastor. And uh, somebody came in, and the, somebody came into the church, and and um, I'm going to be very vague here. Somebody else came up and said, "Man, we've got the problem. This person's here in this church. What do we do?" And I love Pastor Greg's response. He said, "Well, let's have him sit with the sinners." <laughs> and I'd probably been in ministry just a couple years, and I and I thought about that and and you know what I just loved it I loved it and I thought to myself man that is just so true just okay just make sure you put them with the sinners you know and that's that's who God is he says man I came for those who are sick I came for those man you're not here in this church because you're perfect if you're in this church because you're perfect go find some other church because you're not with perfect people here starting with me but that's who Jesus is. He steps into darkness and he brings light. And really, that's what Christmas is about. You know, I hope even as you light your Christmas trees, yeah, that's pagan, yeah, we do it, but, but you know what? <laughs> Don't even ask. Okay, but light in the darkness, and that's what I like about these lights in the darkness. When you put candles in your windows, I always think, last night I was thinking, into the darkness came a light. Man, is that not your story? Like, that's my story. Into my darkness came a light, and with him came life. And so we see Jesus. He goes, man, I came for those who are in darkness. I came for not, not those who think they're okay, not those who think they're in the light, but those who are in darkness. And so we see this taking place in this couple of scriptures we just read. But in this story, there's actually even more to this story. We see a picture of Jesus, but we also see a picture of a lady, a lady that we really don't know very well at all. All we know is she's Peter's mother-in-law. Peter was a good man because he had her staying with him. But she is sick, and 
she is on, she's lying down, she's not doing well, and Jesus walks in and he just reaches out his hand to touch her. He just does what Jesus does. He doesn't say, you know, I'm too tired, I've already done my fill today, I'm off work, I ended at five. No, he just said, you know what, she's sick, there's a need, and he reaches out, he touches her hand, and her fever leaves her. And what was her response? What was her response? You can interact with me now. What was her response? She got up. She got up and she served. It was interesting that I love this. And this is why I see you see the picture of the gospel right here in these two verses. Here Jesus lays down his life and he brings life and health and, and a newness to this lady. And she doesn't just go, oh, I think I feel so much better now. Can someone get me a glass of water? That's probably what someone would do. And you're laughing because it's probably what you would do too. When we get, we start, no, I don't want to overdo it right now. I don't want to get too sick. I'm just recovering or whatever. But that's not what happens. In her life, she's just been healed. She immediately gets up and now she becomes really concerned with who? The needs of Jesus. And not just the needs of Jesus. She becomes really concerned about the needs of the other people who are in her house. And so she's not thinking about, oh, I just got better. I need some time. Come back next week. No, what she's, she immediately gets up, and she starts serving him and the other people. And that is this picture of the gospel. It's the picture of what God has for us. As William Barclay points out and, and Rick Warren, she clearly saw herself as having been saved to serve. She sees her life as, man, he has set me free. He has healed me for a purpose, and so I have now been healed. I have now been saved, and now what do I do with my healing? And her one desire that happened immediately was to use her newfound health and to use it in service of him and in service of those with her her house. So this is a picture of the gospel. This is a picture. Man, Jesus steps into our lives. He lays down his life. He gives to us. And then what do we do with the newness of the lives that we have? What do we do with a life that's no longer in bondage? What do we do with a life that has been healed from a sickness? What do we do with a life that has been delivered from de depression and now has joy? What do we do with a life who's gone from sickness into health? And so we see what this lady does. Over the last couple of months, um, we've been doing this series on purpose. It's really gone a whole lot longer than I thought, and it's going to go probably at least another month. But I really feel like God is moving in it, and, and, and we've been talking about um, purpose. We've been using uh, Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, and I hope you've been reading along with it because it is, um, it's encouraging and it's challenging. And I hope to encourage you this morning, and I also hope to challenge you. The encouraging words for you this morning are simply this. Man, God is never too busy for you. And the God that loves you is the God that sent his son to die for you, that you would have life. And he loves you more than you can ever begin to wrap your mind around. There is no way you can conceive it. And I will challenge you to conceive it because I got there... Uh, a little bit this morning, 
you picture your own child, you picture your child's face and your name, and you picture letting that child die so that some person who does not like you and hates you will live. Can you imagine doing that? No, I can't. I mean, I love you guys. These are my kids. Right? Now, that, that, that's just reality. But that is exactly what Jesus, what God did with Jesus, his son. He actually allowed his son to go through this. He said, you know what? I do not want to see my son die. I don't want to see him in this pain. I certainly don't want to see the sins of the world on him and being crucified. But more than that, I can't watch the world die. That's a tough place to be. A place that I can't imagine and a place I'm willing to bet you can't imagine either. Yet that is what Jesus did for us, is what God did for us, is what he looked at, and that's the kind of love. That God, who allowed his son to die for you, loves you. And he wants to step into your darkness, if you will let him. He wants to step into your sickness, he wants to step into your depression, and he wants to bring hope and joy, and this is what he has for you. But it doesn't just end there. So we've been talking about purpose. The first purpose we mentioned is that you were planned for God's pleasure. The second purpose we talked about was you were formed for God's family. The third purpose, and we've been camped out in the third purpose for four weeks, was you were created to become like Christ. And then the fourth purpose, purpose is what we're starting on this morning, and it was you were shaped for serving God. And so as we spent a lot of time camping out on purpose number three, you were created to become like Christ. It was incredibly important. Every single chapter that we were reading in that book, we had to preach. Usually we've been preaching, you know, one sermon or two sermons for, for every section. I think we preached probably four or five sections or sermons for this one section because it was that vitally important. We are to become like Christ. We will never fully become like him until we tie and join him. But we are to become like Christ. And in the scriptures that we just read, we see how Jesus lived. He laid down his life. But also we see the servants. We see the response of the person that he laid down his life for. And so in the scripture that we just read, we actually see purpose number three and purpose number four coming together. Jesus laying down his life and bringing healing and health to those who are sick. And then also the response of this lady to immediately get up and start serving to immediately use her salvation for a purpose beyond herself, for a purpose that is his purpose. See, the Bible reminds us that God paid a great price for you and for me. And it says, so use your body to honor God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Rick Warren writes this. He says, you were put on earth to make a contribution. You weren't created to consume resources, to eat, breathe, and take up space. But God designed you to make a difference with your life. While many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life, that's not the reason God made you. You were created to add to life on earth, not just take from it. God wants you to give something back. This is God's fourth purpose for your life, and it's called your ministry of service. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you 
Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Do you realize that God is talking to you? Before he formed you in his mother's womb, in your mother's womb, he made you, he chose you, he set you apart for a very special work, for a very special purpose. You and I basically have special purposes. We have reasons for our existence, godly reasons, God-given reasons. The Bible says that it is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work, not because we deserved it, because that it was his plan. This lady was saved for service. I want to be clear on this. She was saved to serve. All right? She was saved to serve. Her service didn't lead to her salvation. Her salvation led to her service. Your service and my service is a natural response to God's salvation in our lives. Your service and my service is vitally important and desperately needed in the body of Christ. Each of us play a role. And every role is important. There's no small service to God. It all matters. You know, we recently... um, Let me just put it this way. Let's just dream with me for a second. You go to the doctor. You're in the doctor's office. And he comes up to you and says, Man, I got great news for you, Rob. 20% of your body's working. Okay, we're laughing a little bit. How many of you want to receive that news? Now, what would that look like? 20% 20% of your body working, you probably wouldn't walk straight out of here, right? 20% of your body. But it's good because it's better than 10% of your body working, right? I mean, I'm grateful for 20%. Don't get me wrong. You know, we, re- we recently had um, our leadership uh, kind of like small group downstairs. It really wasn't a small group because we had like 50 to 70 people every week. It was actually, it was a wonderful time. We had a lot of people come out. We had um, a superintendent come out, another district guy, Nick, um, uh, come out, and we just had really good fellowship. It was just really good. If you weren't there, um, you missed something, but it was, it was a wonderful time. It really was. And one of the cool things is that even when I, when I talk to some of these guys and we realize we look at the people in the church that we have, we're a church of 300, and we have about, honestly, about 60 or 70 people serving. That's really good. That's 20%. That's 20% of the body is actually serving God. You know that, that the normal figures is 10%. 10% of the church serves God. And as I even began to think about this, even this morning going, man, it's sad that, I say that we celebrate 20% of your body working. I mean, none of us here would be like, that's really good. Yet we kind of, in church circles, we're like, man, that's really good. Church is going really well. Hey, 27% of my body's working. You know, you're not going, hey, so and that's awesome for you. No, but this is what's so sad in Christian circles. See, the response of this lady to Jesus stepping into her life, the response of what she was going to do with this newfound health, this new life, this new freedom that she had was this, man, I've got to do something, and now let me just kind of serve and do this for him. That is a normal response. That is what God wants from us. God says, man, I love you so much. I will give my life for you, and I have that you might live and walk in victory, and that your sicknesses will be healed. And that your depression will be gone and joy will be restored. And all of these things. And he says to you, all I want you to do is now seek first my kingdom. What I want from you is this. He says, I just don't want you to be selfish with what I've done for you. 
Because I, I just want you to take what I've done for you and take it to someone who doesn't have it yet. I mean, you would think that, yo, hey, great, let's take this joy, let's take this new life, and let me bring it to someone else, and let me use it, let me do something. As God served me, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. How many times did Jesus say, you've seen what I've done, now go do likewise? And it was constant. You know why service is so big? You know why it's such a repetitive thing? Because it is the gospel. You take serving out of Jesus' life, you get rid of the cross, you get rid of the child, you get rid of freedom, you get rid of, of, of victory, you get rid of all of that. You take service away from who God is, guess what? You and I aren't here. That's how fundamentally important. Man, you take service out of Christianity, it is not Christianity. It is the heartbeat of who God is. And it needs to be the heartbeat of who we are. Scripture tells us that if we walk by and see someone in need and we do not do anything, the love of Christ is not in us. I mean, think about that. How can we really say that the love of God, this God who died for us, Jesus who died for us, or, or the love of God the Father that allow His Son to die for us, how can we really say that He lives in me and He occupies my heart but I can walk by and not really care about somebody else in need. And I go, yeah, that, that's the guy living in me. No, John says you will know a Christian by his love. Because if Christ lives in you, his love will be present. And you won't be able to help it. It's going to come out of you. That light will shine through. You will be a light in darkness. And so we see this picture taking place right here in these couple of verses. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ's love, and it's a picture of our role in the gospel. Your service is vitally and desperately needed in the body of Christ. Let me ask you another question. What happens when one part of your body, maybe one organ, fails to function? Yeah, I mean... Let's just say your liver decides to quit. What happens? Right, you begin to shut down. When one part of your body, listen, we are the body of Christ. This is a reference, not someone's reference, it's God's reference. We are the body of Christ. He actually says too, the eye doesn't say to the ear, we don't need you. Everything is vitally important. So what happens if one part of your body doesn't shut or shuts down? Imagine if your liver decided to start living for itself. I'm tired of supporting this body. I'm tired of the pressure. I'm tired of doing everything for everybody else. I'm tired of all the other organs depending on me. I don't want to serve the body anymore. I want a year off just to be fed. I've got to do what's best for me, the liver says. So let some other part take over for me. What would happen to you? You would die. You know, there are thousands of churches dying in this country because that's exactly what's happened. There are thousands of churches all over the United States and all over the world dying because Christians who are unwilling to serve, because they think that they don't have a role, they think they don't have an importance, they think that what they're doing isn't important enough, or, or, the, or they think that, 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 that it's overrated, or they think that somebody else can just step, step in for them. They feel like they can come, they feel like they can consume, they feel like they can receive, and so they want to receive and they don't want to give out. And so what happens is they take the newfound life that they have in Christ and they keep it for themselves and they don't serve, 
and the body begins to crumble, and then people begin to complain about the church and say, well, what's wrong with the church? What's, well, what's wrong with your body when you start walking like this? Something's not working right. And then we get excited when we have 10% of our body that works. And then we get grateful to God when we have 20% of the body that works. Look, I'm grateful to God, but listen, I will never be fully content until we can say 100% of this body is working. How, how many of you would be grateful for 10% of your body working? 80% of your body working. Which 20% would you want to lose? Let me ask you another question. And this is, Benedict, this is the challenging part. What if your body served you like you served God? How much of you would be working? How would you walk? What would that look like? What if your body and your organs committed to you and to your life like you committed to God? How many of you would be able to get out of here and walk out of here in a straight line and not fall over? Some of you would do really, really well. And some of you would probably be on your deathbed. I mean, that's just the reality. God's given us this example in our own lives. He says, man, your organs, they need each other. They, they work off each other. And then he says, this here is the body of Christ. This is, and that we are to exist for his purpose. We are to serve each other. It's not just about you. He says, man, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness that he knows your needs and he will take care of your needs. And then the devil gets in there and tries to convince us, man, God doesn't have you covered. You have to take care of yourself. So blow off things that God says, take care of yourself and in the spare time serve God. And sometimes we, we, we say, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Man, what, what, we, what we're talking about here is the reality. This is life and this is death. I don't know about you, but even when I preach, listen, I'm not exempt from this. You go, oh, because you're the pastor. No, I'm not exempt from this. When I think about, man, what would my body look like? My body served God. Or my body served me the way I serve God. What does that look like? I, I, that's challenging. How healthy would you be? And then I, I want you to imagine that God has put you in this church for a reason. He's put you in, a, in, in this church, yes, so that you can receive, but also that you can give out and you can feed. And it's not just in this church. It's in your jobs. It's in your workplace. Your life, my life, should be a picture of a life that has been set free, changed, and transformed, that is now living and serving God who did it. So simply for what? To bring glory to God and that others can come to know him and experience the life that I now have, now have as well. I mean, you know what? Sometimes we go, hey, if I have served God, what a burden. You know how hard it is to bring life to other people? You know how miserable that is? Now, I get so miserable up here every time I see someone find Christ. It's just miserable for me to see someone get set free from a bondage. You know, one of the things that, that I, I never thought I would be in this position. You guys, I've said this a thousand times. We'll probably continue to say it a thousand times. Never thought, never wanted to be a pastor. Was, you know, was, hey, love God, just you, know, you can keep church. But I, I tell you, I have one of the most rewarding jobs ever. I get to see people come in. And, and, and I, I get to get cards and letters thanking me. And I can go, I know I didn't do anything. I just happen to be on the receiving end of it. I've actually had people come in. And, and I, I remember distinctly several years ago, a lady coming in, and she was so broken and so, so emotionally just a wreck. And I remember going, God, I can't take another one of these right now. Like, what do I do with this one? And I remember God saying, like, someone's never been on you. 
You know, I'm a bit of a knucklehead sometimes. Sometimes I think I've got to fix everything. But, but remember just going, God, what on earth? How? There is no way. And within a few months, man, the life was transformed. And it wasn't because of great counseling skills. It, wasn't gonna, it didn't have anything to do with me. It had everything to do with her being in the presence of who Jesus is has everything to do with, with her finding Christ. Let me tell you how hard that is for me. Man, I have the greatest job when I get to see so many people find Christ. I get to see addictions broken. I get to see people struggling and go, man, there's no hope, there's no hope. I get to see family members coming up and going, man, I've been praying, I've been praying, and all of a sudden God has done what I've asked them for. Let me tell you, the greatest joy you will ever have in your life is not what you do for a living. It's not what you do to make money. It's what you do for Christ. If it happens to be your living, that's fine. But, but it's what you do for Christ. Let me tell you, serving God is not a bondage. It's not, it's, it's not a, a hardship. Bringing life to people, seeing people recover, seeing healing come, that's not hard. Whether I'm a pastor forever or, or whatever, I don't know what my life looks like. People ask me, I don't know. All I know is I'm supposed to serve him. I never planned this far. I don't know what 10 years looks like from now. But all I know is this, is I want to serve God all of my life. Whatever he says, that's what I want to do. If it happens to look like this, then I will do whatever he tells me to do. And I'll pray for the strength to do it. And sometimes it's scary. But I want to tell you, every place he's led me, although they've been challenging and they've had difficulties, I've grown and I've seen God's hand move and I've seen life come into people. And it's got nothing to do with me. Just been obedient. But that is joyful. But that, is, that is incredible joy. Your greatest joys, not in the size paycheck you will ever have. You know what I'm tired of seeing? I'm tired of seeing people give their lives to things that don't count. You know what brings me bondage, not brings me bondage, brings me hurt, brings me pain, is, 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 is when I see people get to the end of their lives and they realize they've traded things that count for the things that don't count, and then they try and take the last few years that they have to try and restore the things they threw away. And it happens all the time. All the time. What Jesus says to you is, man, just grab hold of me. Now, let me step into your darkness. Let me bring hope, peace, joy. And then he says, now all I want you to do with that is I want you to take it to those around you. I want you to serve. I want you. And is it, the power of a Sunday school teacher is huge. The influence Man, the influence and, and, and the power of people who just serve and, and do other things, whether it's vacuuming or whether it's teaching or whether it's counseling or whether it's preaching or whatever it may be, there is no insignificant role. The only insignificant role is the person that has no role. But God created you and he created me for purpose. And there are thousands of churches dying today and we live in one of the most and it's hard to find a church over 50 people in this area. It's hard to find a church over 50. Because so many churches are dying. You talk to, I talked to our superintendent. I talked to other guys, and, they, and, and, and they're worried. Some people say, hey, look, this, this area is like a sinking ship for churches and for Christians. Because people are, 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 are consumed. They're consumed with themselves. See, the words that should define us as Christians is serving and giving, but unfortunately what is taking place in our lives is this attitude of receiving and taking. We become more concern, cons consumed with receiving and taking than we do with serving and giving. 
formal people come up to us and say, hey, this is what you can give me, this is what we need from you, and come up and say, hey, this is what I can give to offer and help others. Formal people come up and say, this is what I need, this is what I need. Yeah, I agree with what Rick Warren says. He actually says this. He goes, the last thing that many believers need today is to go to another Bible study. Doesn't sound spiritual. I'll say it again. The last thing that many people or many believers need today is to go to another Bible study. They already know far more than they're ever putting into practice. What they need are serving experiences in which they can exercise their spiritual muscles. You know, so many times we want to take, we want to take, we want to take. But the practicing side, the exercising side, it says receive, receive, take, take, and there's not much to give out at all. You know that's how the Dead Sea is in Israel? There's two, there's two bodies of water in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee that's up north, and then there's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is teeming with, with life, while the Dead Sea is dead. Nothing can live in it. And here's the differences. The Sea of Galilee is being fed by a stream, by the Jordan. And not only is it being fed by the Jordan, it's also putting out. It has water leaving it as well by the Jordan. And that water leaves, so it, it's taking in and it's pouring out. It's being poured into and it's pouring out. And because of it, the water is flowing. And because of it, there's life in the Sea of Galilee. And so as you move south, that same body of water, that same river pours into the Dead Sea, but the difference between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee is all the Dead Sea does is receive water. There is no outlet. It doesn't go out anywhere. It just takes in and takes in and takes in. And what happens is it has become stagnant and nothing can live in the Dead Sea. And that's in, you know, what's it so incredible about that, about, about that picture is it's in the country that God loves and it's an illustration for us. You were meant to take in. You were meant to receive. But equally, you were meant to pour out. If all you do is take in, you will stagnate and you will die. And nothing will live inside of you. And you won't bring life to anybody else. It'll just be about me and receiving and receiving. I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of Christian I want to be. When I got in the ministry... One of the key things that, 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 that really drove me was I was working a good job. I got out of the military at, I'll just tell you, at, 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 at 21 years old, I bought a house. It's pretty good for 21. I was married, had a child, left the military, got a really good job working for a trucking company. Before long, I was running a special account in the evening, and then they moved me to days, and it was a multi-million dollar account. And even the guys that I was working for, actually, when I started coming up here to Bible school, the guy from the, uh, the, the company was Eagle Air Freight, very rich company, wanted me to come and work with them in Boston instead of go to Bible school. And, you know, we were doing well. We bought a house. And I remember looking at Lori and saying, you know, Lori, if we stay in this position, and you can, we're not, we'll be rich or anything, but you can have pretty much anything you want. But I remember looking at the youth pastor who was working in the church with the youth, and he was making exactly half of what I was making. And, and, and I just was not happy. I just wasn't happy. I just th said, you know, Lori, I just, I can't give my life to, to this. It's not about the money. And I said, if we turn around and follow God, I don't know what the salary or money will look like, 
But all I want to know is at the end of my life, the only thing I want to be said about my life is this. I want people to be able to say, he made a difference in my life. That's all I want. That's, that's better than any retirement. It's better than any amount of money. I just want to be able to make a difference in people's lives. And that thought hung over my head until I eventually resigned and came to ministry. That's what drove me because it wasn't enough. I'd say one of the greatest rewards that you can have is making a difference in someone's lives. I'm at that point now, and this is not me patting myself on the shoulders or back. I'm really not. I sure hope it doesn't sound like that. I'm now at the point where I have some of my teenagers coming back to me. Recently, a guy came up to me and said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. Oh, wow, that's never happened before. This guy was like 12 in the youth group. And, and I have people coming back to me that, that you know, I've been in ministry for, I guess, well, over a decade now. You begin to see some fruit of things, and it's the most rewarding thing that people come back and go, hey, I just want to thank things you don't even know about. And go, hey, listen, I just want to say, hey, thank you. Hey, I just want to hang out with you all. I just want to do this. And you begin to see what God does. And you know it wasn't you. And one of the greatest things I can say right now is, I, I, you know what, I see it, I just go, thank you, God. Because it's, it's kind of what I asked for. I just wanted to be able to see people and, and see life brought into darkness and see people helped. And it is so rewarding. I want to tell you, there's no amount of money that can take the place of a life transformed, especially if God gave you a small part in it and used you, maybe some words you said or maybe something that you did. I want to tell you that's what God has for you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to bring life through you. Man, he has placed life in you. He says, just go be with other people, and he will bring life to other people through you. There's that song. You guys know that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord? I will not sing it because that won't be a blessing to anybody, but... But you know that song, Thank You for Giving the Lord, I Was the Life That Was Changed? I think we played it at Miss June's funeral. You guys remember Miss June? Of course you remember Miss June. But I remember that, and Miss June was one of those people. Miss June, she never stopped serving in this church. She was um, she, in her 80s when she died. She never stopped serving. She wasn't the liver who said, hey, I'm taking a year off to be fed. She never, I remember when we transformed Sunday school, I was really concerned about Miss June because I thought, we're changing everything that was the way it was used to be. And, and going, hey, I was a little concerned about how she's going to receive this. And, and you know what? I went up to her and said, hey, Miss June, it, it's the heart behind Sunday school that makes us need to change this now. We need to be more effective. And she just said, you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about this message. And she she served and served and served and served, and she never took any time off. She was one of the sweetest ladies I've ever known, one of those godliest ladies I've ever known. And there are people to this day, there are pastors, there are deacons to this day that, are, that, 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 that were taught by her. They will go back and go back when she was 13 years old. She was my Sunday school teacher. I know people in their 60s that have said that. And go, she taught me when I was 13. And they've never forgotten her. What a rewarding life. Do you know God wants to use you. Look, I'm not trying to beat anybody up into serving. That would accomplish nothing. But I want you to understand that God saved you for a purpose. He saved you for service. That service, if you will walk in it, will actually be the, it'll be the greatest joy you've ever had in your life. Don't throw your lives away. Don't throw your lives away on position. Listen, God may have given you position. He may have given you a great job. He may have given you all of that, and that's part of his purpose for you. You just got to make sure that's his purpose for you. You got to make sure that's where he's sending you. That's what he's doing. You got to make sure that's not you chasing after your own things. God
God's going to call some of you into high positions, into secular places, into different jobs. Some of you guys will probably make a ton of money. That's not a bad thing. If God has placed you, you honor God, you serve God where he puts you, and that's a good thing. But make sure you are serving God. Make sure it's not you chasing after your own fleshy desires. Make sure you live a life yielded to him and allow God to take you where he wants to take you. And when you live a life yielded like that, God will produce in your life fruit and by fruit, I mean fruit in the form of salvation, fruit in the form of, of kingdom building. And he can take care of every other need that you have as well. We can't afford, especially here in New England, to be a church that just receives, to be people that just take in. We have to be people that give out. The truth is, if you were all to come to me after church and go, okay, hey, I'm ready to volunteer, I wouldn't even know where I was going to put you all. I'd have no idea. That'd be a great problem for me, a huge problem for me. And you'd probably become frustrated with me. I don't have all the answers here, but I know we are supposed to serve. God wants us to serve. God is not okay with 20% of his body working. Just as you wouldn't be okay with 20% of yours working. Just as I'm not okay with that. I am grateful. You guys are a wonderful church. You guys are overachievers. We sent 325 boxes out this past year. You guys give and give and give. And, And you guys are tremendous. But man, God wants to do so much more in your lives. He wants to do so much more in my life. And the more that you yield to him, the more that I yield to him, the more effective we will be in our own personal lives and also in the lives of other people. And the temptation to always get to the point where you just want to receive will always be there. It's not going to go away. But we have to fight that and go, no, am I giving out? Am I giving out? I don't want to be the Dead Sea. I want to be a life that brings life. And I know that's what you want to be. And that's what God has for you. And here's the thing. If you let him, it'll only be his strength that will help you be that person. This year, this season, December, we're celebrating a light that stepped into darkness and changed the world forever. And God is asking you to be that light to step into the darkness of somebody else's life and change their world forever. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this December this month, you pray and you ask God to point someone out to you that you can invest in. That you can pour into. I don't mean you have to go stand on the soapbox and preach and read them scriptures every day. I just mean loving them. And as God opens doors for you, you pour light into their lives. You pour Christ into their lives. And just say, man, let's celebrate Christmas by bringing life and light into the darkness of someone's life who doesn't know him. There's no greater gift you can give anybody than that. Man, are you guys up for that challenge? All right, will you stand on your feet? I'm going to pray, and, and um, of course, these altars are always open. If you're sick or if you need prayer for anything, we want to be able to pray for you. But really, one of the greatest parts of this altar call is going to be this month, this December. I didn't challenge first service to this. I'll have to next week. But... I just pray that you would go out and you would intentionally pray that God would reveal someone to you that you can pour into, that you can bring a life into. And even in your fear, all right? Sometimes, right now, you're probably going, man, I I don't know if I can do this. I have this problem, or I'm shy, or I'm this, and I'm that. Well, that's an opportunity for you to be a Christian. It's an opportunity for you to actually put your faith in God. Abraham served God. He was old. 
Jacob served God. He was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph, well, he was abused. Moses, he stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson, he was codependent. Rahab, she was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah at times was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric at best. Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus was unpopular. Thomas had doubts. Paul had poor health. Timothy was timid. What's your excuse? What's, what's my excuse? God used these people had all of these hindrances in their lives and he used them in powerful ways and your life and my life will forever be changed by their lives wouldn't you like your life wouldn't you like your name to appear on here someone never wanted to be a pastor right I want my life to be able to appear in scripture and go this is what he did he overcame God overcame his difficulties his hindrances because he trusted in God you have very real, real fears and maybe very real hindrances, but God is bigger. And it's time for you to trust him and go in his power and not your own. And Moses led God's people into freedom, didn't he? Even though he stuttered. And if you want to be another hour, I can go into each one of these, but I won't. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you that you're not too busy for me. That I may know you and I may love you. I may have been serving you for many years, but God, even in my darkness, you step in and you never leave me alone. And as I pray for myself, I know I speak for everyone in here, that I thank you, God, that you're not too busy for us. I thank you, God, that you don't sit on the sidelines for us. But God, in our darkness, you step in and with you comes joy and peace and life and hope and strength. God, I want to thank you for so many people in here that serve. And I, I understand schedules are tough, and some of this is so complicated. Some people want to leave here going, man, how on earth am I going to do this? And God, I don't even have the answers, but you do. God, I just pray that you would just help us just step by step, day by day, minute by minute. I pray that you would lead each of us to someone you want us to pour our lives into. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you through your strength and your power and your authority would help us to conquer every hindrance, every fear, every excuse that we may have for not doing it, Lord God. That you would lead us by your hand, that we would be an instrument in your hands, and in doing so that we just have a small portion in bringing light and joy and peace and life into the life of someone who doesn't know you. And let that be how we celebrate your birth this year. We love you. Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys. God bless. These altars are open if you need prayer.